Welcome to Case by Case. This is a podcast brought to you by Callum Chain and Luke Zadkovich from Xylofloid Zadkovich. How are you today, Callum? I'm very good and as ever, I'm very excited to be recording with you, but also that we have our second external guest. It's very exciting indeed. Let's welcome Ben Hobden to the podcast. How are you, Ben? Very well, thank you, Luke. Um, very pleased to be able to join you this morning. I've reviewed the, the podcasts that we've seen previously with some interest and very pleased to be able to join you as an external guest today um, to discuss a few issues of, of Cayman Islands law. Excellent, excellent. Yeah, also we've got a, we've got a listener turned turned guest which is which is pretty cool okay ben look it's great to have you on board thanks for your time thanks for coming in i think you you, you're gonna have some some really interesting things to talk about today on on these this case i suppose series of cases for our audience Um, before we we get into it though i just thought i'd give a quick introduction so Ben, Ben Hobden, he's, he's from the Cayman Islands. He's based out there and specializes in insolvency, restructuring and dispute resolution. I think he's been fair to say, been involved in the majority of the, the biggest cases out in the Cayman Islands over the last 10 years or so. I, I think that's a fair assessment. I, I came out in 2012 and we were still very much dealing with the fallout from the 2008 um, global financial crisis. I've been fortunate enough to act on a number of those cases. And indeed, as the work streams have changed a little bit in the last four or five years, continue to be involved in in all of the major cases that have taken place um, in the Cayman Islands. Yeah, and I wonder whether we're about to enter another period of of busyness. I know we've experienced an uptick in dispute resolution issues, claims, and indeed insolvency work, bankruptcy, depending on on your jurisdiction. And I wonder whether you're starting to see that as well. We, We are starting to see it. It has been anticipated now, Luke, for a couple of years, obviously, when the the pandemic hit, I think all of the insolvency bankruptcy lawyers were rubbing their hands together, expecting to get very busy almost immediately. And that didn't actually transpire. We we certainly saw in Cayman a lot of transactional work, um, deals were being amended and extended, Mm. but that is likely to, to come to an end because those extensions are are now up for renewal again. And, And of course, this is against the backdrop of a very different economic climate where I think we all anticipate seeing less and less government stimulus over the next short period. And, and equally, I think there is the looming interest rate increases that are, that are going to hit probably globally. Yeah, it's a good point. It's a good point. And uh, there's a lot of companies out there that are reassessing where they stand in the market. Markets have changed. Markets have been disrupted. Traditional models are being reassessed. And a, a lot of the kind of acute upheaval that there's been has, we've seen resulting claims, but kind of the, the biggest structural side of things and how, how that plays out from a liquidity sense and restructuring is going to be quite interesting over the next period of time. So yeah, just to round off the, the intro, Ben, he's, he's recognized actually as a restructuring insolvency thought leader by who's who legal and is recommended by both legal 500 and chambers and partners. So we're thrilled that you're, you're here to join us today and you've um, provided us with a, a couple of interesting cases to get into. And I think they're going to provide a a good platform to looking at uh, the process for appointing uh, provisional liquidators uh, for a, a Cayman Islands incorporated entity. 
the, the case decisions that we're looking at from the Grand Court of the Cayman Islands in the Financial Services Division and the parties involved, well, it's a matter of silver base group holdings and a matter under the, the Companies Act and the 2021 revision. It was before the Honourable Justice David Doyle heard on the 22nd of November, 2021, and then a following decision, a more substantive decision on the 8th of December, 2021. So recent decisions, and I think these are going to provide a good platform to look at some of the legislative changes that may be upcoming in the Cayman Islands as well. So Ben, would you like to, to lead us off and, and give us a, a summary of the, the cases from a factual perspective? Yeah, certainly, Luke, and, and thank you for that introduction. So Silver Base Group Holdings, which I think we can all probably use the, the shorthand Silver Base, is a very typical Cayman company. It's incorporated um, under the laws of the Cayman Islands, listed on the Hong Kong Stock Exchange, and its business is conducted in, in Hong Kong and elsewhere within uh, the PRC. So immediately there, you see a tension between the, the domicile of its incorporation, Cayman, and then the, the, what the company actually does its business, which is variously between Hong Kong and, and the PRC. And what we saw in Silver Base, and, and this has been very commonplace, this type of case over the last two years, is we saw a company that was in financial distress the majority, if not all of its creditors were based in Hong Kong and the PRC. And one of its creditors presented a petition in the courts of Hong Kong. Now, so far, so not interesting, but what we have seen a significant uptick in in the last 18 months is how do companies respond to that? And they respond as Silverbase responded in this particular case. And they brought an application in the Cayman Islands to appoint provisional liquidators with a view to restructuring its debt, presenting a compromise to its creditors so that it could go about its business and effectively do away with the, the, the winding net proceedings in Hong Kong. Now, I think the reason why companies typically will do this is that there is no formal restructuring legislation in Hong Kong. So Silver Base in this instance were left with going to court in Hong Kong and trying to oppose the winding up petition, which given I think that the debt is, is due and acknowledged would have been very difficult for it, or coming to Cayman, the jurisdiction of incorporation, um, and seeking to make use of our, what we have described as light touch provisional liquidation regime to put provisional liquidators in, obtain what historically has been a worldwide moratorium on claims against the company, and with that breathing space, attempt to come to a compromise with the creditors. Silverbase is worthy of further discussion because there were a few points that happened between the November and the December hearings that were a little bit unusual and probably provide practitioners with a real roadmap as to how judges in the Cayman Islands are going to deal with such matters going forward. Yeah. So, so there was just as a headline, there were, there were kind of two main points of interest that, that I kind of saw in this. One was the procedure 
around notifying the creditors of the Cayman Islands petition and how much notice needed to be given and all of that. So kind of the procedural issues. And then there was this, this, this point about how to, how to reconcile what was happening in Hong Kong and what was happening in the Cayman Islands, such that JPLs, the Joint Provisional Liquidators could be appointed, but do so in a way where there's a, there's a carve out with respect to certain steps in Hong Kong. And I thought that kind of that interaction between the two jurisdictions, which of course is not just limited to Caymans and Hong Kong, it could be Caymans and, and, and many other jurisdictions, of course. But I thought that's, that's worth kind of looking into and, and getting into some detail. Is that, is that a fair, fair summation, guys? Just before you jump in on that, Ben, I was going to ask a similar question, whether you, whether you see Hong Kong as a, a kind of jurisdiction for Cayman companies to list particularly frequently, or whether Hong Kong is one in a number of different jurisdictions where these structures would be set up. Absolutely. I think Callum, I will take your question first and then move on to, to Luke's that the short answer Callum is that Hong Kong is an incredibly attractive jurisdiction for Cayman companies to list. Typically what we see is, is money coming out of the PRC in Hong Kong and being put into a Cayman Co that will then subsequently be listed in, in Hong Kong and that, that there are thousands of Cayman companies that are listed on the Hong Kong exchange. And then indeed further on in its lifespan, we often see that those are taken private again, perhaps by the founders, by way of scheme of arrangement, and then relisted on a, on a Chinese exchange. So that tends to be that the lifespan of a, of a Cayman company, but we as a jurisdiction are incredibly familiar with the Hong Kong, um, listing rules with the Hong Kong courts. And we, we, we come into contact with them all of the time, moving on to Luke's points. I think that's why these judgments are quite important because they really do put a marker down for cooperation between the courts in, in the Cayman Islands and Hong Kong. Turning to, to Luke's point, the, the, very interesting because the, 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 the two facts that do come out um, are perhaps unusual because insofar as notice is concerned, what we have often seen is that the Cayman Islands Court is not too concerned by notice being given to the creditors of the appointment or the application to appoint a provisional liquidator because the legislation expressly provides that that application can be brought ex parte. So what, what we have seen historically perhaps is that there has been a looming date for the petition to be heard in Hong Kong. And we've then seen company runoff to the Cayman Islands court at very short notice, put in the provisional liquidator and then go over to Hong Kong court and say, there's a moratorium, you can't proceed with this. But what Justice Doyle did in Silverbase, which I think is something that is going to be, uh, I, I think, a real benefit to the way that we interact with our Hong Kong counterparts going forward, is that he said, one, you must give better notice to your creditors in Hong Kong. I think in this case, notice had been given one working day before the hearing, I think it was maybe given on a Friday with the yeah. hearing then to take place on, on a Monday, which 
that those presenting the case did, did, did nothing that had not been done historically. But Justice Doyle, I think, described that notice as woefully inadequate. And it was on that basis that he caused the initial hearing to be adjourned so that the company could send all of the papers that had been filed in the Cayman Islands to its creditors. And moreover, again, something that I noted with interest is he directed the company to also file those papers with the Hong Kong court, um, again, being very conscious not to tread on the toes of his brother judges in Hong Kong. Yeah, I, I, I found that point, well, the, the, the earlier point quite interesting. The, the one about it being ex parte, but, but the court taking into account the position of the creditors. And, and Justice Doyle, he, he noted, of course, that the word ex parte is used in uh, section 104 sub 3 of, of the Act. But then he went on to look at the developing case law, which he, he said stresses the importance of the court taking into account the position of the creditors when a company is in the zone of insolvency. And then went on to cite three decisions, I think, which were in the authorities bundle. But I, I, I noticed that the judge then beyond that to find another authority in, in Midway Resources, then sent that to the petitioner's attorney, I think of the morning of the hearing. So the justice was clearly concerned about ensuring that sufficient notice was given. And I just wonder whether there's anything to, to talk about what, what, what is the zone of insolvency in the, in this kind of context? It, it's a, it's a very good point, Luke, and thank you for raising that. And it, it goes to the obligations and duties of directors of a company in circumstances in which a company is solvent, directors of a Cayman company owe those duties to the members of a company that, that is trite law. Equally trite is that when a company is insolvent, i.e. cannot pay its debts as they fall due, those duties shift and are then owed to the creditors. And zone of insolvency is the shorthand that has been used, I think, by practitioners and judges in, in the Cayman Islands and in the UK as well, when it can't really be said whether or not this company is or is not solvent, there is a real question as to whether or not it is going to be able to service its debt. And at that point, life for directors becomes quite difficult because it's clear that you've got to wear two hats effectively. You've got to act in the best interests of your members and in the best interests of your creditors. And my take out from what Justice Doyle has to say about that in um, the Silver Base judgment is that the court and companies, directors of the companies, must be very careful to ensure that the creditors are informed and that their position is taken into account. Indeed, he, he, he says that expressly. And what I suspect that Justice Doyle was attempting to do here was to enable any of the creditors of the company to attend the hearing that was adjourned and subsequently reheard on the 8th of December to tell the court effectively whether or not they had any issues with this company going into the provisional liquidation process. Uh, and, and, and we see that when it comes to the second decision, the December decision, notice has been given. We, we don't see anybody turning up to oppose. There was a question mark as to the suitability of the identity of the liquidators that was, was done away with pretty quickly. But the judge did satisfy himself that the creditors had been given notice 
and did have the opportunity to appear if they so wished. There's a, there's a, a question that occurred to me and I don't, it, it, insolvency is something that we come across a lot in the work that we do, but it's, it's not kind of the core of our specialism in the way that it is for you. But I wondered whether there is a overarching legal principle in terms of who the insolvency is for. My, my assumption would be that the insolvency is, is there to aid the creditors and the shareholders of the company, or, or maybe it's, maybe it's there to, to aid one more than the other. But if you, if you look at the way this judgment is, is, is kind of put together and the way that the judge has, has invited the Hong Kong court to take, well, it has, has applied this, this moratorium, but carved out part of it for the Hong Kong proceedings. It seems as though there's some underpinning kind of theory of, of insolvency that's, that they're seeking to apply here in, in giving any creditors in the Hong Kong action, at least the best possible chance of bringing their claim. It's quite right. And it's an interesting point, Callum, and it often depends, well, it always depends on the circumstances. If a company is truly insolvent, i.e. that when a liquidator is appointed and all the assets are realized, that the creditors will only get a prorated return, then the creditors' interests are preferred. If, however, and this does happen, if, however, a company goes into insolvent liquidation and it subsequently transpires that actually that company is solvent, and, and, and that may happen in circumstances, for example, whereby the company cannot pay its debts as they fall due, so it goes into a liquidation process, but it subsequently transpires that the liquidators bring a claim against former directors, for an example, which, which will make it solvent. It will mean that the, the creditors are paid out in full. And the members then actually participate in the fruits of the liquidation. At that point, you shift away a little bit to the member's side of things and, and, and pay far more attention to their interests. But, but the situation that Justice Doyle was faced with here is the company coming to him to say, we do not think that we can pay off debts as they fall due, which the judge can only take as meaning that this will be an insolvent liquidation. The creditor's interests can and should be taken into account here and then goes a step further than what we have historically seen in cases like this and carved out those Hong Kong proceedings to effectively say to the Hong Kong court, you can now do as you please. Uh, we don't know what the answer to the question will be, and indeed, th that is one of the real interesting parts of this case, that when the petition comes on for hearing in Hong Kong, it is not entirely clear what the Hong Kong court will do with that. My, my, my best guess is that it will adjourn the winding up petition in Hong Kong, and it will give um, deference to the fact that the company is a Cayman Incorporated company and that Cayman Islands provisional liquidators have been appointed. So I think it will enable the company to borrow a benefit from the moratorium. But the way that the judgment has been crafted, Justice Doyle clearly leaves it open to the Hong Kong courts to take contrary views on that. Yeah, and it's, a, it's an interesting exercise in, in comedy, an interesting exercise in the way that the Cayman courts and the Hong Kong courts seem to be willing to work together to protect the, the various interests involved. Absolutely. And I hope, and I do hope, because it, it, it will probably give the best reflection of comedy that 
we see the petition further adjourned in Hong Kong. But that does remain to be seen. It, it would be a very curious position, and there would be a lot of in and out of, of a number of issues if the company was to be in provisional liquidation in the Cayman Islands and in official liquidation in Hong Kong with, with completely different office holders. Yeah, so it's almost now open to the Hong Kong courts to quote unquote return the favor and show the committee back to the Cayman courts. Quite, quite, quite right. And it, it, it may well depend upon, upon the circumstances that there have been a number of judgments of Justice Harris in Hong Kong where this process has taken place. And he has been very critical of Cayman companies and, and, and a little critical of the Cayman judiciary for allowing the moratorium to effectively do away with his discretion to make a winding up order. And particularly in certain circumstances where the application has really appeared to be an attempt to avoid official liquidation rather than a genuine attempt to compromise with the creditor base to actually come up with a better return. And, and it's another thing I think that doesn't necessarily shine through, but it is implicit in the silver-based judgment that yeah. companies that are going to go to the Cayman court are, are really going to have to have a sensible restructuring plan to show to the court rather than just say, we're going to come up with this in due course. Well, I, I think that came through in the first decision when um, Justice Doyle was dealing with the notice requirements. You know, part, part of what was driving that decision, as I read it, was a desire to ensure that the creditors not only knew about it, but to um, instill confidence in, in, in the, with the creditors in the restructuring process. And, and I think that it kind of goes, goes to the point that you're talking about, that the, the court the Cayman court wants to understand what's actually happening here rather than just have it rushed through the process and kind of just rubber stamped ex parte. The, the, it seemed to me, and as a, I'm obviously an, an outsider to this, just, just reading in, but it seemed to me that part of where the court was coming from, and even in the tone of the, of the decision was that they wanted to know more about what was happening. They wanted to hear from the creditors to have a better awareness of the creditors position. And then once that was done, the tone is completely different in the second decision dealing with the substance of, of the application. A lot of positive commentary about the, the, the way that it was presented at that hearing and, and then the decision itself was more favorable to the petitioner. Absolutely right, Luke. I mean, you can see in the first decision that he, he effectively flags what he wants to see. He says at some point, if the company wishes to put more flesh on the bones of the restructuring proposals that, that, that they should do prior to the hearing being heard a second time. And, and you're quite correct. The company had obviously gone away in the interim and done its homework and presented the court with further information as to the plan and provided that to its creditors as well. And it, it, it does, I think the tone of the two judgments put together move the jurisprudence on a little bit because the, the former decisions that are referenced seemed to be more company friendly than creditor friendly. And, and there can be no doubt that Silver Base is absolutely a creditor friendly decision 
that does put the interests of the creditors first. And indeed, if you look at common law jurisprudence, that makes complete sense because when a company is insolvent, it is the creditors who are preferred. I think that's right. I think that's right. It definitely comes through. So did you have um, any other final observations on the the decisions themselves, Callum or, or Ben? Um, because I, as I understand, there's some interesting legislative changes in the Caymans. Yeah, I'm interested to get into those legislation changes that I, I think the legislation came out on the same day as the second decision or, or very shortly after. That was something I read when I was looking into this case. Correct, correct, Colin. We've we've seen a draft. It, 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 I think, is now proposed to come into force at the end of May. This, the the reforms to Part 5 of the Companies Act, they've been talked about for two, three, four, five or six years. I have regularly been on the road in in New York and London in Hong Kong and, and spoken to onshore practitioners and said that these reforms are coming. But we did see at the end of last year them find themselves at least provided in draft. And there are a few more nuts and bolts that need ironing out. And we anticipate that it will be in force at the end of May. And, and what that does is it introduces the concept of a restructuring officer in, in Cayman Islands law. And for those listening that are familiar with English law, it is similar, albeit not identical, to the role that an administrator um, would play in an English insolvency. So what, what it will change is to get to a silver base got to, you need to present a winding up petition. So the company needs to present a winding up petition to wind itself up and then make an application to appoint a provisional liquidator. Understandably, stakeholders in a company can be quite nervous when using the word liquidator or, or, or liquidation. And the thought in Cayman for quite a while has been that perhaps we have lost out on serious restructuring work because of the connotations that surround the, the, the word liquidation. So for, for many years, Practitioners have now worked on the concept of a restructuring officer. Um, and what that will do when the Part 5 reforms come into force is that it will enable a company to petition to appoint a restructuring officer for the purpose of restructuring a company's debt rather than have to do it via a provisional liquidator. It, 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 it largely is just a change of name, the people that will act as restructuring officers are the persons that would have acted as a provisional liquidator historically. But we think that optically it will enable and, and indeed encourage more companies to restructure in the Cayman Islands. And importantly, it will be a dedicated procedure that, that will work on, I think, you know, what people often refer to as a rescue culture. So it will really show Cayman's commitment for all stakeholders in an insolvent company to work together to come to the best outcome for, for the company and, and, and more importantly, in an insolvent situation, its creditors. When you say that it, it may increase 
the propensity of companies to restructure in the Caymans. Are you talking about pre-incorporation of the company and that, that then, you know, gives the, the optics or the, you know, the, the visual that a Cayman company that may get into difficulties has a clear restructuring process, not just, you know, quote unquote, a liquidation type process, or are you saying that, you know, an incorporated company when choosing how to deal with insolvency related issues or restructuring issues when looking at different jurisdictions that that company may touch upon, it, it, they may be more inclined to go to the Cayman Islands to have the restructuring officer appointed there and then dealt with, you know, under the, under the guidance of the Cayman restructuring officer. The, the short answer, Luke, is, is both. I, I think right. pre-existing Cayman domiciled companies, it, it will become more attractive because we use that word liquidation. The, the other, you know, the other thing I suppose that you always need to consider with the word liquidation is, is a company would need to look at its finance documents and see whether or not there would be any default that was caused across its, its suite, suite of financial documents by entering into a liquidation process. And, and often that may be the case, but, but also, you know, to the latter point, we do hope that we will see more international entities decide to restructure in, in the Cayman Islands. And indeed, a number of years ago now, the biggest restructuring that has ever taken place in this jurisdiction, Ocean Rig, effectively moved here to restructure. So it's shifted its combing over to Cayman. It moved over its um, registered office, various companies in the structure move over the registered office to the Cayman Islands. Cayman Islands directors were appointed. And, and that was because of I think the perception, indeed the reality that the Cayman Islands is a sophisticated jurisdiction in which to bring restructuring proceedings, that, that there is a very deep pool of, of talent here and, and, and the, the jurisdiction did a fine job in, in Ocean Rig. Provisional liquidators were put into place here. That debt was restructured by way of, of scheme of arrangement and uh, that the Cayman Islands process was recognized in, in the US via a chapter 15 process. And we do feel as a jurisdiction that we are going to be able to compete with, you know, the other major restructuring hubs, be it, you know, a US chapter 11 process, be it the, the new process that is available to debtors in, in Singapore. And, and that's where Cayman wants to present itself. And we hope that the, the amendments to the law will enable us to do that. Yeah, and, and Justice Doyle, he made that point as well in his decision, didn't he? That, you know, the Caymans, Cayman Islands is a highly sophisticated jurisdiction. It's a, it's a jurisdiction of substance. I like that phrase. Um, is the, is it, the point on that, that the, it needs to be, that there needs to be some substance to the jurisdiction in order to, in order to take some kind of jurisdiction over the, over the questions regarding the insolvency and, and to say this, you know, the company is validly incorporated here. We do have, we do have a significant role to play in the, in the administration of the company from that, from that perspective. And that's, that it, it struck me, it's slightly as a, as a slightly strange couple of paragraphs, if I'm honest, when I was reading it, where the, the judge was, you know, as, as Luke's saying, was saying that, you know, the Cayman Islands is a substantial jurisdiction. I, I was interested in, in picking your brain on that, Ben, and why exactly was that so, so critical? I think the, the, the 
single reason why why it is in there, Callum, is that some of the previous decisions of the Hong Kong court, when it has tried to suggest that it is the most appropriate forum to wind up a Cayman company, has suggested that Cayman is a, quote, letterbox jurisdiction. And for all of us working in the jurisdiction, we, we can absolutely testify to that not being the case. Companies have real substance here. It, it, indeed, various global and European legislation requires a company to have economic substance here. But because, of course, the nature of a Cayman company is that you, you incorporate here, but you, in, in fact, as a matter of law, a Cayman Islands exempted company cannot do business in the Cayman Islands. So it is set up to do business elsewhere in the world. But But that is not to say that you come here on day one and, and you leave on an aeroplane, having incorporated 15 different companies and you never touch the Cayman Islands again. We, we, we've got a legal profession of hundreds of attorneys here. We have fund administrators, insolvency practitioners, accountants, the whole suite of professional service advisors and anybody that has practiced in the Cayman Islands really does should have when we are described as a as a post box at letterbox jurisdiction it makes a lot of sense the and 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 you can tell this from the development of professional services in the cayman islands that that there's and and indeed the development in the in law and the the developments to the common law through the cayman islands that it's not just a, a simple letterbox no i mean it would be it would be fantastic for me colin if i could um, be on a, a, a podcast like this and suggest that all, all of my competitors are, are letterbox attorneys and that you should absolutely come and use me for every piece of work. But unfortunately, that that is not the reality. We've, we've got a, a raft of fantastic lawyers here. And, and that is why we are able to sell, amongst other things, our restructuring offices, because you do not need, you know, you do not need to be with firms one or two to make sure that you get fantastic representation. You know, there are 10, 12 firms on this island that that are all first rate, which means that we can really offer a service to our overseas clients. It's a great deal of sense. Yeah. It's a really interesting point, that one, about that this this decision in a way is is being written with a view to uh, a Hong Kong court audience, that this is going to be provided to the Hong Kong court and read through that lens. And when you, when you look at it through that lens, you can see that the, the, the core is very, the Cayman core is very much minded to display and state its sophistication and its respect for, for another jurisdiction, which is a, there's a, there's a common relationship there, so to speak in, in terms of how these companies are set up. So fascinating to get into it. Any, any final comments, guys, we've covered some territory. <laughs> well, on that, on that note, I think all that's left to do is to thank you, Ben, Ben Hobden from Cayman Islands. Thank you very much for for joining us today to give us a, a different topic to talk about, take us into provisional liquidators or, you know, soon to be called, I'm not sure if they're soon to be called, but it, we've got the uh, restructuring officer coming in, in, in the next few months as a, as a term, perhaps a bit of marketing to be done around, around that change. And thank you, Callum. Always good. Always good to get into, into a different topic. Hey. It was a pleasure. This was a really interesting one for me. I, I feel like I was kind of clinging on with my fingernails for some of the more difficult, the more uh, deeper dive into, into insolvency and restructuring, but it, 
very interesting and fascinating reading. Uh, thank you very much, Ben, for um, for taking the time to join us. Uh, an absolute pleasure, Callan and, and Luke, and thank you for um, having me this morning. It was it was great to chat. Good stuff. Well, look, thank you uh, to everyone for listening in. We hope you um, you've enjoyed today's episode. If you if you did, it would be it'd be fantastic if you. Uh, liked and signed up to our our podcast you can subscribe or follow us on spotify or apple podcasts if you do you're going to get these these podcasts into your feed each thursday where we're aiming to do a you know a, a bit of a world tour and and skip around different jurisdictions here and there and, and also across different topics so we'll, we'll try to keep it relevant and engaging thanks for listening today and thank you once again ben and and uh, callum Till next time, take care.